0: Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hi, everybody. This one is for the other dog pros out there. I've been in this field kind of a long time and I don't get everything right every day, but I do have some tips that I think can help us. And I'm gonna share more of those things with you all this year. So today I'm gonna talk about handling criticism as a dog trainer or dog business owner. Anytime you are the HBIC, you're gonna get complaints. You're gonna get criticism. You're gonna get emails that aren't very nice. You're gonna get bad reviews. Like these things are gonna happen. And I'm a really sensitive person. And so it's easy for me to take that stuff personally. And if I hadn't kind of figured out a system and a few hacks for dealing with those things, I maybe would have burnt out and quit a long time ago. So the thing is, I get three types of emails that aim to criticize or complain. Three kinds. The first kind is from very angry, disgruntled people, and it is extremely rare. But this type of email makes personal attacks on me and is simply severely unfair, even if I've done something wrong. This type of email does not get a response from me and it doesn't get any of my, in- my attention. In fact, I have help with my inbox, shout out to Cami because she also edits this podcast and she's got a file for those emails and she dumps them in there, so she reads them and she moves them and I never have to see them. The reason they're kept at all is so that we can check back in case we're receiving repeated problems or if, and I hope this never happens, anything comes to a legal issue. So we do save them, but I typically do not read them. And if that kind of thing is available to you, I do highly recommend having somebody who is not gonna be personally damaged by these words To filter them for you first. You do not have to respond to every email that you receive and you do not have to respond to vitriol or nastiness ever. So that's one type of email. The next type of email is somebody who is doting and really, really likes me and really appreciates my work and also has like maybe one tiny thing that maybe I could do different or could do better, you know, or they've got some problem with something that happened with the billing or, you know, things like that that do happen when we're dealing with a lot of people on a virtual platform. Or occasionally I've had very long time podcast listeners who came in and said, I've been listening to this podcast a long time. I really appreciate everything you do so, so much. But this one thing you said didn't sit right with me, you know, et cetera. So emails like that, that are sandwiching essentially the complaint or the criticism with appreciation tend to get a response and an immediate one from me especially if those emails are a call to action versus just a complaint. And I'm going to talk about the difference in a minute. If one of those emails is simply a disagreement, it might not get a response from me because I don't have time to engage with every single person that disagrees with something that I say since it happens all the time. The third type of email that I might receive that I would categorize as a complaint or a criticism is one that is a mixture of the two. So it is not meant to support or hold me up. It is not meant to make me feel better, but it is not written with any kind of vitriol or personal attack. I think it's easy for us, especially if we're quite sensitive, to categorize this type the same as the first type because they both make us feel yucky. When you get an email that doesn't say anything nasty or personal about you, but is also not sugar-coated, it is important that you take those emails seriously. So those emails might not get an immediate response They do not get put in that folder and and put in the graveyard. If they call for action, I do act on those emails quickly. And if they don't call for action, I simply file them away as a complaint that I've received. Because whether you like it or not, repeated complaints or criticism should be paid attention to. Even if you believe that you are doing everything correctly by the book or doing the best that you can, if you get repeated complaints that roughly say the same thing, you are a wise business person to take those seriously. And you might, if you are incorrectly categorizing the non-sugar-coated emails as nasty emails, miss some key areas for growth as a dog pro. Of course, it's still up to you to decide if you believe that you're in the right and you believe that what you are doing is best long-term for your business and your clientele. But those repeated complaints should serve as a red flag to you that something needs your attention. It isn't about you personally. Separating who you are as a person from your business entity is going to be a key component of you avoiding burnout and leaving this field entirely. So I mentioned several times calls to action versus complaints. A complaint might be, hey, the audio sucked in that last podcast, okay? I will take that complaint seriously, meaning if I get that complaint repeatedly, I need to do something about the audio in the podcast, but it isn't an immediate call to action. Hey, I was charged twice for this webinar I signed up for, is an immediate call to action i need to issue that person a refund right away if i received an email that was full of vitriol and personal attacks but also had a complaint in it that was a call to action i am wise to address that call to action even though that email sucked so for instance if the email said how dare you? You always do this. You are a failure. I can't believe that you did this wrong. I was charged twice for this webinar. I still owe that person a refund, even though that kind of email is the kind that I typically just file away. That's why it's important that somebody reads everything, even if it's not you. Even better if that person can address the call to action and you don't have to see any of it. So categorizing these things I think is helpful. It certainly is helpful for me as a professional to understand what these emails are because they are not meant to ruin your day most of the time. They're actually often opportunities for improvement But if we have too many feelings about the tone of the email and tone is different from content, then we may again miss those critical areas for growth. The content of the email making personal attacks is separate from the tone of the email being plain and not sugarcoated. Do not mistake those two things and make sure that calls to action are addressed. You do not have to send an email apologizing. You do not have to even engage. Address what is needed. Let them know the problem has been addressed. Move on with your life. And if you're not sure, and you're having a hard time, and all of this is just really too tough for you to juggle, and you're afraid of the inbox because those nasty emails hurt you too deeply, please, for the love, get some help, pay somebody to help you with your inbox. I want all of you fantastic dog trainers and behavior pros out there to stay in business and enjoy your jobs. And so I'm gonna keep helping you wherever I can In that regard. And a few Patreon questions for you. First one comes from Nina. Nina writes, what are your thoughts on inseparable bonded pairs? I've heard conflicting information on if this is a legitimate thing dogs do experience. So first of all, Nina, I don't think we know the answer to that. But we only typically hear this phrase when dogs are in a rescue or shelter situation looking to be rehomed and the people caring for them are kind of stating that the dogs need to be adopted together because they're a bonded pair. I don't love the phrase bonded pair because I don't think we have good definitions for it. Certainly dogs find comfort in the familiar and placing them with dogs that they lived with before and had harmonious experiences with before I would say is a kindness. However, plenty of dogs would do just fine being separated from dogs that they've lived with. I look at my own four dogs and think that Felix would be happy to live his life without any of them, although he certainly has his favorite um, of everybody and his least favorite of everybody. Iggy would also be totally fine without any of them. I think that Carson likes everybody, but would be perfectly fine moving on and not living with any of these dogs. Rhea probably has the closest relationships to other dogs. She likes other dogs the most out of everybody, but still, I I would say that they're bonded to me, not each other. So if they lost their human, that would be the tragedy for them. That would be the hard thing, not so much losing each other. And of course, my dogs are not the rule here, not the only dogs. And I think that this is just kind of an individual thing. Now, having said all that, yes, dogs do bond to each other in such a way that it is inhumane to separate them. That's true. That happens. I think we do our best when we try not to let that happen between our dogs, because they do need to be separated sometimes. But essentially, yes, dogs have complex social lives. So of course this can exist, but it probably exists less frequently than we think. Next one comes from Celine. Celine writes, as my dog has matured into a more reliable off leash trail buddy, I am dabbling with upping my speed a little bit for variety, fun and fitness. I'm running into two small problems one when i increase speed he gets a little more amped this is very understandable and he picks up speed he still checks in with the same frequency but because he's moving faster he's out of sight a little more than i'd prefer two he's going faster so now his check-ins have become potentially deadly collision risk i'm not interested in dying so i will always decelerate when he gets too close to me but it ruins the flow it's like i'm tripping over him constantly I want to discourage this type of overly speedy check-in when I am running so I don't feed them, but I also feel uneasy with halting reinforcement for check-ins altogether. There's also the question of whether this behavior is reinforcing to him because border collie. Maybe he's not even checking in, maybe he's just trying to control my motion. Admittedly, I have not put a ton of thought into this, but so far my main strategy has been to start with glacial speed shuffling and attempt to desensitize him to increasing speed. I'm struggling to stick to this desensitization plan because it's boring for me and also a bit uncomfortable for me to move that way. How do I speed up without, without speeding up the border collie? And what should the check-ins look like if not running up to my front? So first of all, congrats on your mature, reliable, off-leash dog. But I wonder if jogging is best done in a leash and harness in some kind of joring system rather than off leash. So think about that Two, Your problems are in contradiction with each other because you've got these check-ins, but he's also got too big of a radius. So you are aware of that when you say that you don't want to stop paying for the (laughs) check-ins, but I understand what you're saying and you will probably need to train him an alternative and I probably wouldn't reinforce check-ins when I was running, at least not in proximity to my body. So if he started running towards me, I might tell him to lie down or sit at a distance, run up, feed him in position, release him again. So some kind of extra training could work there. Or you could think about joring for jogging, off leash for walking. Those are my ideas for you. You're very clever. You might come up with more. Best of luck. Last one this week comes from Allison. Allison writes, is there a difference between overstimulation, anxiety, and over arousal? Is anxiety only fear-based? For example, I would say my dog seems overstimulated in new environments, can't settle, whale eyes, bitey, but doesn't display more fearful behaviors such as hiding or removing herself from the situation. She's also a teenager, so this may be par for the course. How would you go about dealing with each if they are different? All right, Allison. we might not have time to dig deep into how I might deal with everything, but let's talk about what these things mean. Overstimulation is exactly as it sounds. It is the dog's senses being overwhelmed by something. So the dog can't process everything that is coming in because too much is coming in. So that's being overstimulated. Anxiety is dread. Anxiety is anticipation of yucky events. Anxiety is anticipating fear or fearful events or pain or painful events or anything not great. And then over arousal doesn't really exist. Over arousal is kind of a word dog dog people made up. Arousal though is simply preparedness, readiness, the state of being kind of poised and ready to spring into action if necessary. So that's arousal. It doesn't exist in an over or under situation. It just is what it is. I don't know enough about your dog to tell you what is going on here, but saying that the dog can't relax, has whale eyes and is bitey tells me that you might be dealing with some fear. Fear does not only lead to hiding and avoidance. You might be dealing with some anxiety. The dog isn't actually afraid yet, but is anticipating being afraid. You might be dealing with overstimulation. The dog simply can't process everything that's going on and is therefore in a state of overwhelm. And the dog probably is in a reasonable arousal state for that situation. Saying the dog's a teenager tells me that the dog might be not in a great headspace to be in public. Sometimes taking little breaks for teens from being in public access settings is a good idea. But you also might. Think about doing some structured activities that help the dog to focus on one thing so that they're not as overwhelmed by everything going on. I like scent-based activities for this, like nose work or tracking. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.